0: Let's give Tyler a hand this morning for filling in for Miss Terry. Appreciate our our praise team, just consistent week after week, taking us to the throne of God. Uh, What a ministry they have in this place to all of us. Appreciate you guys. Uh, This morning, we look at another one of those barriers to revival. Maybe one of those barriers uh, that we really don't see coming. It's kind of a creep in the soul. Uh, a weed that grows in the garden of our hearts as many of these other things have been that we've looked at. Uh, we've been identifying these barriers and particularly pointing those out as things that fit the, the description that, that is uh, in Second Chronicles 2 Chronicles 2.14 or 7.14. Uh, if my people, that's a big if, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Well what are some of those wicked ways? If we'll do that, if we'll turn, then God says that He'll send revival, He'll send healing to our land. But that starts with us. If my people, who are called by my name, turn from their wicked ways, wicked, meaning twisted, uh, uh, twisted, you know, like Wicca furniture, you know? Uh, Wicker furniture is uh, twisted uh, stuff. Um, and occasionally our soul gets twisted. And one of those things that will twist it up is this idea of covetousness. Is that not the perfect picture or what? His popsicle was so good until he saw the double dip, right? And uh, covetousness is, a, is an interesting thing. It looks, it looks right past what you have and becomes obsessed with what you don't. If we go back a little bit where that that picture was big, do you think he's enjoying his popsicle right now? Yeah, he 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 can't even focus. It's interesting, covetousness always kind of springs from, you know, it's it's a it's a it's kind of a domino effect that usually starts with comparison. And we compare ourselves to others, but it's interesting isn't it that usually when we compare ourselves in such we don't compare ourselves to people who have it worse than us. We compare ourselves to people who have it easier than us or, or better than us, or at least that's the way it seems. Live a day in their shoes, you might decide differently. But at least from the outside, covetousness usually starts with comparing ourselves to someone else that we think is doing better. At least it seems that way. And that comparison, first of all, leads, leads, to, leads to discontent. We look right over our popsicle at somebody else's double scoop. And we obsess about what we don't have, being forgetful of that which we do have. And the more we remain in that posture, the more momentum it seems to build. Covetousness, it's a, an inten- it's a inordinate craving, this, The Webster says. An inordinate craving for possessing, especially what another person possesses. To want what someone else has or what we think someone else has. It's that that cry of the child in our own heart saying, mine, mine. But Paul's not addressing children when he talks about covetousness in 2 Corinthians 9. He's actually talking about exemplary believers. Which gives me pause because that means that covetousness can really live in almost any heart. It's kind of a perennial weed we have to work at. So don't get down on yourself. If you recognize that this applies to you, it probably applies to each and every one of us. But it doesn't now, it probably will next week. So Paul says this in, cha- in verse 5 of chapter 9. He says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful Gift that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Not affected by covetousness. Now, what is he worried about being affected by covetousness? Well, in a word, in, in our word today, we would call it a pledge. We would call it a pledge. This is what had happened. The Corinthians, the Corinthian believers who live in the province of Achaia, if you're reading in the previous verse where it refers to these folks, the the, the Corinthians had gotten this in their heart that they wanted to help the believers in Jerusalem, their mother church, who had extended the gospel to them. They, They wouldn't have known Christ without that mother church sending out missionaries, principally from Antioch, to come to Corinth. Paul had been there. And they had gotten in on the lottery of life because the church at Jerusalem had been willing to share the gospel with them. And now the guys in Corinth hear about the church in Jerusalem that because of a famine in the land is having a tough time. Remember, the church in Jerusalem had in a surge of enthusiasm with the beginnings of the gospel and at Pentecost had started selling up all their stuff and giving it to people in in need, and now it's almost as if the world's laughing at them and saying, "See, see where that got you." But God's not finished with the story yet. They hear about the need of the church in Jerusalem, and Corinth is so moved because of what the church there had done to get the gospel to them that they decide to give. It must have been a, in a significant and sacrificial way to the church of Jerusalem, and they tell Paul, hey, we're we're going to start gathering that offering now. Go on to Corinth, go on and plant some more churches, and when you come back on your way to uh, Jerusalem, be sure to drop by and pick up this bountiful gift, this previously promised bountiful gift, the results of our pledge a year ago. Come back by and, and, and pick it up on your way back to Jerusalem. So this is what Paul's doing. Paul's sending Titus and a couple of other guys ahead just in case the Corinthians have gotten off track. Because the Corinthian gift was so significant, so sacrificial, that this poor church in Macedonia, in the previous chapter, Paul describes them as a church in great affliction and great poverty. Nevertheless, because of the example of the Corinthians, had poured out in a a wealth of generosity. How do you have a wealth of generosity when you're poor? Well, remember how Jesus counts generosity. It's not by simply the amount of the gift. It's by the amount of the sacrifice. That's how he counted the widow's gift, remember? It wasn't by the size of the gift. It was by the size of the sacrifice. We've had financial campaigns in the church in the past where we said we won't give equal gifts. But let's, let's pursue equal sacrifice in, in supporting what we feel God's called us to do. Well, apparently, the Corinthians had been so courageous in what they attempted to give that when the Macedonians heard about it, even though they didn't have much, Paul said they gave not only from their means, but beyond their means. So now, an emissary from Macedonia is coming back with Paul to make sure that the stewardship of this great gift for the Church of Jerusalem, no one's picking out of the pot, you know, on, on its way back. He's he's ensuring the integrity of the gift. And a Macedonian is coming with how embarrassing would it be for Paul to show up, the Macedonians haven't already given with great sacrifice. They come back to Corinth and they go, you know, Paul shows up and he says, And how how about that that offering for the church in Jerusalem? And they say, Oh yeah. That 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 is what we said a year ago. That is what we said a year ago. But but that was before they had a a special on the boats down at Bass Pro Shop. You know? Uh, so Paul's concerned that what they first intended to do, that they've gone the second step, having pledged, they have practiced the discipline to complete this gift so that not only they, but he will not be embarrassed when he comes with the rest of this emissary on his way back to Jerusalem to pick up the gift. Are you with me? So that's what's going on. I've heard people say, well, you know, we don't pledge at our church because that's not biblical. Well, what else is a previously promised bountiful gift if it's not a pledge? Now, I'm going to make some points about that this morning. If, if, if we fall into covetousness, I'll this out. Uh, well, I'll, I'll come back to it later. Uh, if, if we fall into covetousness, it will choke our generosity, is, is Paul's concern. Uh, and this generosity was something that was uh, probably not only significant, but sacrificial. And the reason I think it was, is because it was a gift given over time. If you have your pledge card with you this morning... You can see the effect of that, a gift over time. On the back of the pledge card is a little percentage giving chart. If you give so much a week, it'll come to that much at the end of the year. And uh, I I, I don't know about you, but when it comes to giving, a $100 bill always looks, uh, looks bigger in an offering plate than it does at the golf shop. Oh, that's just me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but but I, I have a tendency to, and, and you know, Sh- Cheryl and I have always been well taken care of. Uh, God is faithful. But w- we never have a whole lot of money left over at the end of the month. Anybody else know that experience? And, and so money is something that we, we're not preoccupied with, but it is something that we have to manage uh, pretty faithfully. And so it's very rare. I, I usually, you know, my mad money for a month's less than two hundred bucks. So when I think about giving anything, five hundred and something dollars, something in my pocket kind of pinches, you know. Uh, but I could give five hundred and twenty dollars a year if I just gave ten dollars a week. That's a pretty significant gift from a $10 sacrifice a week. If I was to give $20 a week, uh, if I was to give $20 a week, I, I, I would be generous to the point of $1,000 or more. If I, if I could give $50 a week, I don't do the math well, let me go back to my notes, that, that would be over $2,500. A $2,500 gift from me? Are you kidding? Cheryl's laughing down here. (laughs) But but if I look at a manageable gift over time, it can become very significant. Something that I would consider deeply sacrificial as a one-time gift on a regular basis becomes a generosity that, that I can manage. And the generosity of the Corinthians was something that was multiplied by that kind of setting back week after week, I think. He he was coming so to make sure that that their planned giving was not something that was being affected uh, by covetousness. Because this is what happens when you make a pledge, and weekly, let's say, you have to make a decision. This is what that puts in place. Every week... I've got a choice of where I spend that, that 10 bucks if I'm going to give $520 that year. Every week I've got a choice. And, and there's something powerful about not just making a sacrificial choice once, but making it again and again and again and again. If, if I make that choice not just one time a year, but I make it weekly 52 times a year, I'm training my heart with every single time I decide to make my God a priority, I'm training my heart in generosity. Does that make sense? Amen. That part of me that's naturally geared to be mine, 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 that, 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 that fleshly part of me that's very real within me, I, I train to be generous by the discipline of choosing my priority again and again. And again and again. And it almost becomes habit. It becomes natural. Nowadays, Cheryl and I are tithers, and I don't even think about it. It's really, there was a time where that cut to the quick. Ever had that experience? It makes one sore. Right? But that decision made over and over again, that setting God as my priority over this other thing that is an inordinate desire and craving of my heart in that particular moment, trains my heart to be generous, trains my heart to be thankful for what I have and not to become obsessed with the things that I don't have. A a pledge is actually a check to covetousness, if you practice it that way, growing in in our heart. Covetousness will tend to compromise that choice. And that's the power of making that choice again and again and again. It was a a missionary service at, at the church. And, you know, the missionary came and he showed his slides and he asked the congregation for their support. It was the kind of thing that the congregation was used to. And the little old lady didn't recognize the gentleman that was sitting in front of her with the very nice suit on. Uh, He was perhaps a visitor from the community, obviously a very well-to-do businessman. And after the missionary had given his appeal and the pastor said, now it's time for us to take our offering, this distinguished gentleman asked for a moment, if he could have a moment, please. And the pastor recognized him and he said, I have a brief testimony if you will will hear me out. Everybody said, sure, you know. And he said, well, I I was a young businessman years ago and I was a member of this church. And on just this day, on the missionary Sunday, uh, I was very strapped for money. And the missionary came and he gave his appeal and it moved my heart. And I was struggling with whether or not I could trust God with all that I had in my wallet. That's what he had laid on my heart. But that was all I had to get by on the rest of the month. But I'm here to tell you today that you cannot give God. I gave God all that I could that day. I emptied my wallet into the offering plate as it passed by, and I will challenge this congregation today. I've been blessed ever since because of my faithfulness to God then and God's faithfulness to to me now. I am now a multimillionaire, and you can afford to give all that you have for the Lord. He sat back down, and everybody clapped, and the tray started passing, and the little old lady saw her opportunity. She leaned for him. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't... uh, space seating at that time, she, she leaned forward and she said, hey, mister, do it again. <laughs> do it again. Generosity. If we're, if we're basing the measure of our own generosity on the past rather than on the present, maybe it's time to take a fresh look at our own hearts, right? Right? And Jesus calls us to be generous because he was the most generous of all. God so loved the world that he gave, right? Our God is a giver and the greatest of givers. And if he's going to have children that are like him, then he he calls us to be generous as as he has been generous. So I would encourage you this morning to do what Paul says in this passage and declare war. War. On coveting. Declare war on it. Because there's there's something about it. Coveting will cancel our contentment. It will shake our peace. It will steal our joy. It will cancel our trust. And as Paul says here, it will choke our generosity. Declare war, war on it. And you can do that by on a regular basis choosing generosity. Choosing to be an investor in what what God has called you to do and to be, to love others and to love God with all your heart. Declare war on coveting. Second of all, I'd like to challenge you just to make a pledge. That's what kind of sets this discipline in motion. It initiates a, a practice that becomes something that becomes a habit that becomes the character of our heart over time. Make a pledge and and practice it. And if you'll make that pledge and practice it, it will come to train your heart in generosity. Instead of feeding your greed, you'll generate generosity. 52 times a year, some of us give once a month. If you give the same amount once a month that amounts to what you would have given per week, you may decide less often, but it'll be that much more significant when you have to make the decision. Either way, it becomes a practice. That shapes your heart. But it's also a practice that we can easily fall out of. I got a letter this last week from a member of our congregation. And uh, it tells a story of a time in her life recently where tithing had gotten tough. You know, it can become such a habit that you forget about it. And then all of a sudden, some things can happen in your life uh, that make it difficult to practice. letter has disappeared. The letter has disappeared. <laughs> letter has disappeared. Uh, l- l- let me try to paraphrase it. Cheryl will run to my office and look on the top of my desk and see if you don't find it there. It's just a typewritten note with some of my notes on- off on the side. She said this. Let me, see, let me see if I can paraphrase it as best I can. As she's a member of our congregation, she said just two or three years ago she had fallen in some really difficult times financially. The the bills started coming in. The house was leaking. She said there were times when they didn't have enough pots to, uh, to do a meal because they were too busy catch, catch, catching the leaks around the house. You know, the, the roof needed repair. The kids' uh, school bills had come due at the same time. Um, all, all kinds of things that just kind of, you know, Satan loves to pile on. Has anybody else noticed that? And uh, it was during one of those kind of seasons. And at first, she said it was just a matter of putting off her check every month. You know, she would wait until next month's paycheck to cash last week, last month's tithe check, you know. And that way she, she would be sure she had enough to get by into the next month. And, and she was kind of figuring a way to juggle it like that. At first, it started like that. And then it started actually. Let's give my wife a hand. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't you like it to hear it in our own words? I've been a tither for years. I taught my kids to do that, 10%. They got a dollar each week in dimes, so they could give one dime to the church. But our financial road's been rocky. Uh, but no matter what, we've always given 10% of our income to the church, and God provided for us then. We, we've counted through the years more than four or five cars that have uh, been given to us um, We think by the Lord about three years back times were tough and after all those years of God providing no matter what I wavered Unexpected bills came up the refrigerator the dishwasher the washing machine all died in the space of a couple of months The credit card balance was at an all-time high for good reasons two weddings in a year's time a funeral out of state surgery on the dog I could pay off the bills from uh, The month but make no dent to reducing the total debt ever been there? I started to waver in my tithing. First it was writing the check and then holding it until the next paycheck came before I would put it in the offering. Then it was writing a little less than I probably should have. And, and then my anxiety from the appliance bill at Lowe's and the credit card bill and the student loan from my son's college began to climb and climb and climb. Did I mention the leaking roof? We were having trouble eating. I told you about that. And... Uh... Uh... I just didn't know how to get out of the mess that we were in. So I prayed and I prayed, and I did begin to tithe once again. It was hard, but I was giving, not really cheerfully, reluctantly, and under compulsion would have described it better, really more through gritted teeth. And then along came the false stewardship campaign two years ago. I shuddered because I thought I was doing the very best I knew how to do, and I just didn't want to think about money anymore anymore. I was praying, Lord, how do we get out of this mess? And I felt like I was in quicksand. At some point in the sermon, Pastor Chris said something like, just do something more than you're doing now. Yeah, right, I thought, he continued. If you can even give just 1% more. 1%, I thought, and started mentally crunching the numbers, 1%. Maybe she looked on the back of that card that, that we all have today just to figure out what that might objectively be. She said, so I started to give 11%. That's what hap- and then this is what happened. An unexpected gift came from my dad, uh, enough to re-roof the house. We decided to sell one car and share one that we kept, saving, paying, saving and paying less for the insurance and the maintenance. The appliances got paid off. After 10 years, the student loan was finally paid off. And then COVID hit. I was laid off from my full-time job. I had to draw unemployment, but with the additional sum that the government provided, y'all remember those bailout checks? I made more than I made in a regular paycheck during the time I was off, and I was fully reinstated nine weeks later. Instead of rounding my tithe up to the nearest dollar, I found myself rounding it up to the nearest five or the nearest ten. I was even giving donations to ministries. I was blessed uh, uh, above to give beyond the 11% tithe. I started leaving bigger tips at restaurants. My prayer life even improved. I read scripture more than just my regular read through the New Testament in a year. We're debt free now, and I've almost saved enough money to purchase a new car to replace the one that's now 12 years old. Oh, and, and did I mention I got a $2 raise an hour at, at work? The blessings of tithing weren't only financial, although I'm grateful that, for that. I was also blessed, listen with peace, with the ability to hear what the Lord was directing us to do and to receive the blessings He was giving. She recognized it as from the Lord. It's also about receiving the courage to let things go and have the strength to follow the Lord's leading, no matter how strange or scary it might seem. I still crunch numbers. I guess I'll always do that. But now I'm doing it joyfully. Did did you notice... The things that covetousness stole. Being in partnership with God restored her peace, her trust, her joy and generosity, her gratitude. That's what can happen when we're not just trying to figure out our financial woes ourselves, but when we realize we have a senior partner. And he's a lot richer than Bill Gates. We, we, we have a senior partner. The, the training of your heart in generosity isn't a matter of just bending your own will. It's a matter of being in partnership with God and watching God be true to his promises to you. So much so that his promises then becoming an excuse for greater adventure. Well, if God's going to multiply what I give, why wouldn't I give him more to multiply? Why be generous? Be generous because it's a blessing to you. Be generous because it's a blessing to others. Be generous because it's a partnership (laughs) with one that can bless you far more than you could ever bless anyone else. And because our lives are a partnership with the most fruitful blesser ever, then we can take him up on his offer in Malachi 3. Prove me in this, the Lord says. Will you not bring the whole tithe into uh, the house and see that I will not bless you in return? And it talks about uh, in many different ways, Uh, not only monetarily, but in other ways. The the, the, the pestilence will not attack your vineyard. You, you You will see my partnership and my protection in so many other ways that I work in your life when you choose to make me your partner in your finances the great thing is he's not only a partner here and now when we're a partner for the things of the kingdom we're storing up treasures in heaven if, if you read on in Malachi 3 have you ever done that have you ever read past that part that all the preachers tell you to read it's, it's really a message to hearts that tend to covet God says if we'll do that if we'll take and bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this says the Lord of hosts if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, God's not just interested in blessing you with physical material things that would just be the satisfaction of a covetous heart. He's interested also it says in in 2 Corinthians 9 in, in the Harvest of your righteousness in you becoming more generous, as you becoming in character more like his son, then I will also rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, uh, nor your vine in the field, will it cast grapes, nor will you continue to have to catch water from your leaky roof. no it doesn't say that, but that could have and, and all the nations will call you blessed for you shall be. A delightful land, says the Lord. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Listen to this. You say, what what have we spoken against thee? You have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now, we call the arrogant blessed. Uh, Now only the doers of wickedness build up. But they also... Test God and escape. All those accusations are the accusations of a covetous heart. Lord, I'm giving, but they're doing well. What gives up? What's up with that? They're looking right over what they have in the Lord and being obsessed with the double scoop of ice cream <laughs> that isn't gonna last, right? Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention. And heard it in a book of remembrance. was. And it goes on. Covetousness can rob us of so much. But mainly it robs us of our partnership with God. Our lives become something that we're planning. Our, our financial dreams aren't set by dreaming with God in the kingdom of God. We're no longer practicing how we can maximize what we can do on earth for Him. We're practicing what we can minimally do to get by. pray about this pledge this week. And then I hope next week when we come to church that you'll, uh, with the others in our congregation, that you will bring your pledge and you'll just deposit it. And I hope in 2021 that that will set up the practice for you of making God a priority week after week or month after month as you continue to give far beyond what you thought you could in any moment because you're practicing a generous heart over time. And I hope that throughout the year, like, as Scotty did. That you'll recognize his partnership in your life financially and you'll grow to trust him that much more. Your peace, because it's grounded in him, not the circumstances that he's going to overcome, will not be stolen from you. Your joy in giving will multiply rather than that pinch in the pocket You'll, you'll have joy over it. You'll trust Him more because He's come through again and again and again. And most of the people that develop in this kind of generosity that have joy in giving have that kind of history to recall of God again and again. Just like you heard in the testimony. She gave and... Uh, uh, was it her, her car that was broken down? Her water pump? And, and someone miraculously, she didn't mention it, showed up with just enough money to fix her water pump. I can't tell you how many times that's happened in my life and in Cheryl's life as we've trusted God. And there are moments where we go, wow, that big screen TV would sure be nice. But we've been faithful to God. Every financial problem that Cheryl and I will ever have is not just our problem. We've got a partner in this. And because of that, we can have peace. Because of that, we can have joy in giving, not even fully understanding where all of our needs might be met. We can be like the Macedonians that Paul talks about in chapter 8, that we become those that have such generous hearts that we are those that are begging to give. (laughs) Wow. Wouldn't that be fun? To be those whose hearts are begging to give. Begging to give the maximum. Because we know that whatever we give, it's just going to bless others. And when we give, it's going to bless us. And when we put things in God's hands, there's no telling what He can do with it. The good that can come from it. I'm just going to close this morning with, with this little story. You've seen the piano up there and probably wondered what that was about. A mother had brought her, her little boy who was a piano student, to hear the great Petrowski, the great pianist. And and the concert hall was filling up, and it was almost 8 o'clock. And as they sat down in their seats, she recognized someone on the row behind her that was a neighbor. And she bent back over the seat and started talking to this neighbor. And it, it was only after a long conversation there that she realized... The, the lights in the room were dimming and the concert was about to start. And she turned around to tell her son that it was about to start and she, he wasn't there. He was gone. And then she noticed people around her before the concert even started, they seemed to be... Could, could we all put our phones on silent, please? It's not even 12 o'clock and they're calling the preacher. What are they thinking? So she's looking around for her son. She can't find him. And then there's these little giggles. And, and she realizes people's attention's already up front. Petarowski hasn't come out. She looks up to the piano and there's her son. He was a piano student. That looked like home to him. That was something that was familiar. He had gotten up from his seat, found his way up on stage, and was now up on stage and was beginning to peck out. Twinkle twinkle little star and everybody awed and he looked at him and smiled. <laughs> how I wonder what and he was having his own little concert up there and then the great master came out and they wondered if the little guy was going to be in trouble and sure enough when he looked up at the man in that long black coat and that tuxedo that night he wondered if he was in trouble and he, he, he paused and he stopped playing And the master said, no, 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 keep on, keep on, keep on playing. And he kept on playing the simple notes that he knew. And the master reached around him with a left hand and started adding this deep bass tones and runs that just made twinkle, twinkle, little stars stand out like like stars in a dark night, and he reached around with the other hand on the other side and started playing these rolling oblongatos with his right hand, and twinkle, twinkle, little star became something absolutely magnificent in the hallway that night. Because one had trusted the Master to keep doing what He could do and trusting Him To do what he could do my friends if if you want a greater peace in your finances if you want a greater joy in your generosity the key is in picking the right partner trusting him to do what he says trusting him to invest in His kingdom and His purposes and His mission on this earth. And He can take what little we can do and make a masterpiece out of it. Lord Jesus, we thank You this morning that You don't give up on us and our coveting hearts. That Your patient grace is such that it wants to develop us into generous people like Your Son. And so, Father, as it is with us every year, we, we bring this to you. Because this is really about a partnership between each of us as individuals and you as to how you want to develop our hearts as disciples. And so, Father, we ask you today to show us, stretch us into a deeper level of trusting, into a grander adventure of giving, that we might bless you and bless this kingdom and find ourselves being the ones that are blessed in return. Lord Jesus, we trust you. This morning, we thank you afresh that you are our master. And whatever we have to give, Father, it so pales in comparison to what you've already given us in your son, Jesus. Father, we've already won the lottery of life. Surely we can trust you with what we have to give. We thank you for Jesus. And in gratitude for him, as Paul said, God, we thank you for the indescribable gift that's ours in Jesus Christ. Salvation today, a place that you've prepared for us in eternity, Father, give us that eternal perspective this morning as we decide what we might invest in your kingdom in this next year. Make us generous people. Make us trusting people. Father, draw us into a partnership with you where we see your fingerprints in daily happenings, your provision, because you are the one we are trusting for it. In your holy name, we give you thanks and praise. Amen.